It was 1995. Lucasfilm had just re-released the original Star Wars trilogy with the Faces box set. The covers for each movie were relatively plain and featured a half-face of a major character. Naturally, my dad, who is a major Star Wars fan, brought the box set home the first day. I was about eight years old, and I was mostly unaware of major releases. Movies on VHS were things that just magically appeared every now and then when my dad came home from work. All sorts of people were coming around the house to behold the special edition box set, to hold it in their hands, and to watch it. The only special feature for this box set was interviews with George Lucas. I'm sure my dad found it interesting, but as a kid, I couldn't care less. Star Wars has been a part of my life for so long, and I know my dad had older versions of the VHS tapes that we watched when I was even younger. But for the life of me, I can't remember the first time I saw them. My first distinctive memory with the franchise was with the Faces box set. As I reflect on my childhood experiences with A New Hope, there are a few scenes and events that stand out. Darth Vader is the ultimate villain and always knowing that he was Luke's father. I think one of the first questions I ever asked was, who's Darth Vader? And my dad just told me. Probably because he was burned out from the endless barrage of questions from a five-year-old. And also because spoiler rage wasn't as big of a deal back then. James Earl Jones' voice, the imposing physicality, and the exacting and cutting dialogue. Darth Vader's cold indifference to humanity and sole focus on the objective all stand out. The epic Imperial March, the incredible opening theme. John Williams' use of leitmotif to introduce characters, plot points, and feelings. It developed further with each successive film, and it was something I overlooked for a long time. I recognize the two big songs, but the others, and how they're used to tell the story, is something that I'm just catching on to now. I still remember how so much of the dialogue went over my head, but how I still found the overall movie enjoyable. Dialogue between Darth Vader and the Moffs about his ancient, ancient religion, or Obi-Wan explaining Anakin's turn to the dark side, or totally missing the name Anakin because it's so weird or Han Solo's subplot of owing Jabba money, and why the hell did he shoot Greedo? As I reflect on these movies nearly 30 years after the first time I saw them, I'm reminded of a time my dad was watching John Wayne movies. To me, John Wayne movies were boring, and I asked my dad to change the channel. He told me, These are the movies I used to watch with your grandpa when I was a little boy. So for me, they're always going to be the greatest movies I've ever seen. Star Wars stopped being interesting to me around the same time girls started being interesting. And in other ways, I feel like I just started to grow up. I can't get into the Star Wars lore or the extracurricular series, but these movies, especially the original trilogy, will always remain some of the best stories ever told because these are the ones I watched with my dad when I was five. It just occurred to me, we're recording this on Father's Day. How, <laughs> how, how touching. True. Yeah, yeah. A Father's Day episode for Father's Day. I get the sense, though, that a lot of these episodes are going to feature like our relationships with our dads because that's who introduced us to to these movies and really the, this movie series is a soap opera about a family mm -hmm. you take away the lightsabers and blasters it in some ways is kind of like watching uh days of our lives <laughs> yeah right <laughs> this intergenerational you know tales and and people coming back from the dead and people not being who you thought they were and big reveals and yeah all rhymes with a soap opera yeah it's like poetry it rhymes <laughs> i have a really hard time re-watching movies like i don't like to a lot but then re-watching these for this podcast i was like this is just like a solid movie like it's just a really really good movie well for sure like a star wars a new hope is just a good movie and i think that's why it's the most popular is because it's just anybody can watch this movie and have a good time mm -hmm. as the movies go on you have to get a little bit more invested in the story to care about what's happening but this one's just uh a rags to riches 
swashbuckling adventure. It's like the Robinsons in space kind of adventure. And so George Lucas borrowed from all the, the, the serialized series he watched, all those kinds of things. And he built it into this kind of super movie or super story. And he was influenced a lot by the book, A Hero with a Thousand Faces, which just talks about like building myth and the origin of myth and this archetype of the hero's journey. And so he takes all that stuff and he builds this pseudo Western space opera drama uh, swashbuckling adventure that like anybody can just sink their teeth into. Because it's kind of everything at once without being too much. I think we wanted to talk a little bit about the impact on, on film in this movie had in general but now i feel like there are a lot of things that try to be too much to too many people and and they throw in different things and different characters and different you know boxes to check but this told a solid story about a hero about a family you know the way you see han luke and leia going through I, I think of the uh, the trash compactor scene. You know, they get like trauma bonded yeah. <laughs> yeah. in that, yeah. right? You you put these three characters, they hardly know each other. I, they didn't introduce Han till like 40 minutes into the movie, right? It didn't, I didn't, I never realized how long into the movie that was. But they don't introduce him till they're a third the way through. And then Leia doesn't meet these other two main characters. We always think this is the, this is the perfect group of, of characters right you got han leia luke and chewy right but they don't all meet each other till you're already past the halfway point in the movie and then so then you have to set up these these things that that really build that character i think that's something that was nailed in this is like okay why should these characters care about each other why should they get involved with each other and why should they stick around like what you're saying about how they don't you know Luke and Han don't meet each other until they're 40 minutes into the movie. They don't meet Leia until they're more than halfway through the movie. That's how Lucas was able to build the world. Because i that's what I realized watching it the second time was, yeah, we spend a lot of time in Tatooine, doing a lot of stuff in Tatooine. We're talking about moisture farming, and we're drinking blue milk, and we're riding around in the speeder, and there's sand people who are dangerous, and there's this dune sea... And there's this place called Toshi Station and there's Moss Eisley. And they're talking about these places. And I think one thing that if you're trying to write a novel or something like that, you, you Google how to write a novel. I think the first tip people give you is don't spend too much time on backstory. The, the, your story is not about backstory. It's about what you're doing now. And that's something that gets nailed in, in A New Hope, I think, is they reference all these things, but then they don't take you aside to say Toshi Station is the place where Luke hangs out with his <laughs> friends. And the Moss Eisley Cantina, like, well, they explain all you need to know about Moss Eisley, right? A, a Wretched hive of scum and villainy. Villainy. There we go. Yeah. And that's all you need to know about Moss Eisley, right? Yeah. But, I mean, the way stories get told today would be like, the Moss Eisley Cantina was started a hundred years ago, and this is the founder, and here's the blah, 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 and we'd have flashbacks and everything. But there's so many things that are just happening that are just part of the world that they don't, it's like by not going into the backstory, you build the world a little bit better. So they talk about the Imperial Senate and they talk about how the Imperial Senate won't like the Death Star. And, you know, all there's this, there's still this very political kind of situation going on as the empire is consolidating power. 
and Han owes this money to a mysterious guy named Jabba the Hutt, who we don't see for two more movies. But we know he's in trouble, and he's got his own set of motivations and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. The when when they're sitting down at the table talking with Han and negotiating this passage on the ship, it doesn't feel like oh, this guy has to say yes because that's the way the story goes. It feels like oh, will he? Does he? Does he want to get involved with these people? Oh, seventeen thousand. Oh, okay. You know, yeah, sure, sure, I'll do it. They walk away. Han's elated. He's he's like, yes, this is gonna <laughs> save my neck. Yeah. You know, and and you immediately see what he's what he's fighting for. Right? It's himself. He he's in trouble with somebody. You know, Greedo shows up. He has this little conversation with him. Right? You see what type of characters we're dealing with based on what they're they're doing so i'll actually say like when you talk about how han solo's major motivation is han solo and i think the only way you redeem a selfish character is they have to die in the end right they have to give their life so going just jumping ahead a little bit to force awakens in completing han solo's story like that with him dying to try and save his son i think that you know that was actually a nice way to round out the character but sorry, I don't mean to jump ahead too much. Yeah, yeah, we'll get we'll get there in like two months. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, two months that episode will be out. But yeah, yeah, I think I think that in a, in a weird way, Han has like the best, some of the best character. Well, like development. A, you know, he he's the one who changes. And, yeah, and he's the element of chaos, right? Right, right. He's this. I think like if you try and yin yang and and Taoism, which I think George Lucas borrowed from is you have this, uh, you've got your straight-laced princess, you've got this kid who doesn't know what he's doing, and then you've got this chaotic smuggler random. And and he kind of ends up generating a significant subplot through the next few movies, right? Right, right. And I think one of my favorite scenes on rewatch is Han and Luke sitting in, in the cockpit together, and Leia has just stormed off. And Han's like, what do you think, a princess and a guy like me? And Luke immediately is like, no, no, because you can tell they're both like kind of into her. And there's like this weird tension between the two. And Han knows. Han's like, I'm way cooler than this kid. You know, like (laughs) this guy doesn't stand a chance, right? Right. But like there's little there's little things that are given away in small scenes and, and little bits of dialogue that establish these characters it's less is more in this movie, right? The less you tell about these people, the more you're revealing about them, right? And there are things I didn't realize, you know, growing up, like you mentioned in, in your love letter, there's there there are all these things that you don't realize about the the movie when you're a kid, when you're watching it, you, but you still like take it in, right? Like you you still go with it, you know, talking about the the Imperial Senate, right? And this ancient religion, right there, you know, there's like a backstory to all of these things. The only exposition we get, the only backstory we get really is Obi-Wan explaining what happened to his father, right? And, and it's only correct from a certain point of view anyways, right? Like there's, there's this element of storytelling in, in there too, right? Obi-Wan's not saying, oh, well, so if if you go back uh, 20 years, uh, we were on Mustafar, and, uh, well, he, he choked out your mother, 
Um, and then I, and then I went and fought him and, you know, and then we have this big battle. He tries to jump too high and, you know, like it, it's not like that. It's like, oh, a, a pupil of mine turned to the dark side and he tells this beautiful story and, and just kind of sets Luke thinking about, you know, oh, is it my destiny to like avenge my father? Right. Like it kind of puts him down this whole whole path. And I, I think the way that it's done, I don't know. It's it's perfect. I love it. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to re rethink all of how I feel about this movie. Me too. I like watching it again and prepare with just trying to be a little bit more critical than watching it. It I, like it helped me to enjoy it a lot more. When you talk about like building this MacGuffin of Luke needing to avenge his father to leave the moisture farm, if you just read Lucas's brief bio on his wiki page you find out that he grows up in a small town modesto california which is now kind of part of the san francisco area but his dad owns a stationery store and wants lucas to inherit the family business and lucas wants to go to film school and become a race car driver and his dad's like no 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 you have to stay and run the moisture farm i mean stationery <laughs> business with me Right. And, and I think that says everything that Lucas thought about a stationary business is that you may as well be moisture farming on a desert planet. <laughs> like that's about how exciting stationary is. And he's got to go do this quest. And he actually leaves home to go to school, to go to film school. And he says to his dad, I'll be a millionaire by the time I'm 30. And then, yeah. And then he, he goes on this adventure. And I think that's one thing that makes A New Hope stand out is that even though it's set in space in a galaxy far, far away a long time ago, it's this applicable story to people growing up in the suburbs in America of because when you're in the suburbs, you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. Right, right. Even though you've got like maybe a mall and a shopping center and stuff, there's nothing that really happens. Suburbs were built to be safe places for families. So you live in this safe place for families where nothing happens. And your dream is to go to a bigger city, to go to university, to get a big job, to go on a big grand adventure. Right. So he encapsulates that in Luke. And Luke is all of us. He's this real average everyman, and we can all relate to Luke. You know, it's the grass is greener on the other side, right? Or the sand is yellower, you know, softer on the other <laughs> side, whatever. Yeah. And it, it's it's that idea of just wanting to get out, wanting to have an adventure. You know, Luke talks about going to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters, right? You know, there there's always this conversation. And then Owen's like, no, no, I, I need you here on the farm. You know, I need you to help me. There's always this pull of the future, you know, adventure versus should I, should I stay where I am, where it's comfortable and, and safe? You know, what if they never bought those droids? What if they never picked up R2 and 3PO? And Luke just lived out his days as a moisture farmer. He never went and had that big adventure. He never went to the academy. He never went and got power converters even. Like he just did whatever Uncle Owen told him. There's that draw. And I don't know, may, maybe I'm stretching here. But, you know, the dark and the light, you know, it's a choice, right? And maybe there's not a, a right or wrong. But there, you have two choices, right? You have choices. And you can go one way or you can go the other way. Some is safe. Some there's more adventure, right? There's excitement. There's interest. And we so often feel that draw. But even Luke, going back to the hero's journey, even Luke kind of says, you know, no, he, he refuses that call, 
right? He says, I have to get home. The The comfort is an excuse. Lucas could have said, no, no, I, I won't go make film. And then he'd take over the family business, probably, you know, live out his days just fine, right? But he wouldn't have this adventure of trying to tell these stories and, and sharing it with other people and the interesting people that you meet along the way. You miss out on, on those things. And then Luke gets this push of the death of his aunt and uncle. And he says, well, I, I guess that's it. That's the, the decision now is, is made for me. And I think we get that with a lot of different things. We just have to kind of leap out. Sometimes it's prompted by something terrible happening. Hopefully not too terrible, uh, like your home being raided by stormtroopers and your aunt and uncle dying. But, you know, something happens to kind of be like, no, no, you need to walk out that door and go and seek that adventure. Well, it can be like it's getting accepted to a certain university. It's getting a job offer that that's far away from home. It's all these kinds of things where, yeah, it seems like a great like Luke is. Yeah. Going to the academy, leaving Tatooine. Getting out of here, that's all I want to do. And then when Obi-Wan gives him an opportunity for adventure, he's like, do you know what? Staying at home, living in mom's basement is actually a lot more comfortable. And it's kind of big events happen to everybody. Opportunities come to everybody. And sometimes when you get that opportunity, you feel like, oh, I'm a little sick to my stomach because what if this doesn't work out? Maybe I should just stay home. But then you take the leap anyway. So Luke just become Luke's a very, very relatable character. In very, very relatable circumstances, even though it's set in this sci-fi Western. And then, you know, you leave school and you go to university and you meet a bunch of weird and strange characters, right? Yeah. Which is the first thing that happens. He meets all these weird and interesting friends. I've um, got the death sentence on 12 systems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He almost gets into, he almost dies in a brawl in Moss Eisley. He meets Han Solo in a Wookiee. He, he's palling around with an old hermit from the desert. And now he's got a princess. And now, he, you know, everything changes. When, when you leave your space, when you leave your comfort zone, even if it's just a little bit, I had a professor at university who would always say, he's like, everybody should go on two trips in their life. One when they're 12, just to see, oh, not everybody lives like me, right? Just to get out, go somewhere. And then another in their 20s, just to see again and do it solo and just see wow, the world is different. The world is complicated. They don't even go that far to Moss Eisley to see that, right? It's part of that education through adventure. By the end of the movie, he's saving the galaxy. Like it's a complete turnaround from... Yeah, complete where turnaround. Where he was before, right? And, and he's, he's made all of this progress and it makes sense in the film. You don't watch it and get to the end and think, well, I didn't see any of that character development. So, like, I think one thing that was interesting about... So, Lucas makes this... And I'd say it's probably the best story he's told. And he thought it was going to be a total bomb. And I think for that reason, when you don't... You don't have the pressure of, like, a million fans, people talking on internet forums and re critics reviews. It's like, I'm just going to tell this story. I think I'm just going to tell my own life story and kind of interweave some interesting people and and some uh, some bad guys in here. And we'll have this overall kind of galactic war but really i'm just going to kind of tell my life story and if it's interesting to people great and if not whatever and you kind of throw caution to the wind and you get to be a little bit more artistically free and creative and all of a sudden everybody loves it and the reason why they love it is because it's it's this everyman story and there there is no pressure you're just telling 
a story. And that's something I really like about George Lucas. He And I, I feel like he did a really good job of maintaining that. And I think we'll talk more about that in future episodes is just that he's a guy telling a story. This is the story, you know? <laughs> hey, you know, sorry if, if you don't like it. This is the story. This is what happened. The other thing he does is he takes these, uh, the starfighter scenes, and every time you've seen a spaceship in a, a TV show or movies, up until this point in time, it's like some big lumbering thing slowly moving through space. And you don't have, like, support fighters and, and basically you know supersonic jets but he made top gun in space and and where he gets that from is that he was a, a he wanted to be a race car driver before he wanted to be a director right so he's got this thrill and need for speed and then he's like i'm just gonna make real fast-paced action scenes in space because i like going really really fast yeah so i'm just gonna do and then everybody's like oh my gosh we've never seen anything like this it's like he took fighter jets and put them in space and it's amazing it holds up, too. Yeah. The opening scene where they capture the Tanti 4, whatever it's called. From the opening crawl, and then you see the the horizon of Tatooine, and then all of a sudden that overhead shot of the Star Destroyer coming in, we get a sense of the scope of this movie and how it's not like, it's not going to be like anything you've seen before. It's just this massive ship, and they're shooting each other, and their stuff's blowing up, and they're about to get boarded, and it's like, fuck. What's going on here, right? It's not going to be like Star Trek. Like, I used to watch uh, Lost in Space reruns. I'd wake up early in the morning. They'd be on at like 6 in the morning, and I'd watch them. And yeah, it's like a flying saucer slowly moving through space. And Star Trek is like this big pizza box. (laughs) Yeah. You know, slowly move. It's like the most boring thing you've ever seen, right? And George Lucas throws caution and science to the wind and he's like let's put some f-15s in yeah, here guys yeah. I, I, I think that's that's my favorite thing about star wars is that it's more fantasy than sci-fi but it's in space and has has this beautiful beautiful art uh it, one of the scenes where where i felt that the most the most space opera scene was when luke and leia have to get to the other side they have to swing to the other side and and the music comes in and it just like complements it perfectly and you know she gives them a little kiss and they they swing across and it just felt like this is art you know like we're we're telling this beautiful beautiful story and and in this moment of desperation to get away from the stormtroopers there's this moment of just like beauty like you know let's survive let's swing across to the other side you know i i love it i'm only starting to pick up on these things like the man the force theme when he's looking at the two sons in tatooine and then how the force theme carries on throughout all the movies characters are feeling the force that theme plays so whatever feeling you get from that you know you're supposed to feel the force when that song plays right because that's when other people feel the force yeah, that's what I was talking about with light motifs, like how um, John Williams did that. He built those in these movies that everybody kind of has a theme and it conveys the feeling that the character's supposed to have. Like Leia's theme, that carries on through every kind of scene about love or family. And um, you get the Imperial March. When Luke's tempted by the dark side in other movies, you hear the Imperial March in the background. Like, you know, it's all very, very good. Yeah, and I think one thing that really impresses me and we're going to talk more about this in, in future episodes because John Williams is phenomenal. And He told half the story. Yeah. And I, I think 
uh, I think when people talk about George Lucas, right? I think when people talk about the director, so often we're like, it's him. Like, this guy did it, you know? But all these other pieces, right? The the music. What about Anthony Daniels slipping into that C-3PO costume? Like, yeah. amazing, right? Being able to communicate that this is a robot, right? It's not a person playing a robot. Like, this is a droid. This is real, right? And and all of these little things, or, you know, hair and makeup departments, you know, the way they put these things together, the way it feels lived in. Like, that's the one of the biggest things this universe is lived in. Other people were here, right? There, It's not, uh, when, when they're on the Death Star, yeah, it's clean and crisp and neat and tidy and everything, but it feels big, like, when they're in it. You can feel they have to go down this hallway and now there's this big chasm and there's this elevator they have to take up and there's this spot and this spot. There's trash compactors. There's all of these different things. And you get a scope for this place is massive. And people, everybody, there's all these people with random odd jobs everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Operating little computers and you know what I mean? Yeah. One of my favorite things about Star Wars is how iconic it's become. It, it gets to feel more and more lived in because people do some living through it, right? When you see the twin sons on Tatooine, that, I mean, when it first came out, that was a beautiful shot, right? That was really cool, awesome, neat, you know, beautiful. But now it's iconic. And now when you see that in other places, you say, oh, yeah, you know, I, I know where that is. I know what they're alluding to right and and it kind of creates this beautiful um cultural context like it for something to be able to communicate with itself in that way and with the audience in that way where now like there are some things that just don't need to be explained um they they're just kind of accepted and i think i don't know it, it would be interesting to look at that in film as a whole the way that film has changed in the way that we interpret things as moviegoers now. I think the audience is more intelligent because we've been interacting with this medium for so long. This movie changed the way we watch movies and and what people go to the movies for. If you look at top grossing movies prior to 1977, it's basically somebody took a play and made it into a movie. And these are all really gritty, grounded, uh, intelligent kind of works of art Mm -hmm. and then they're just putting them on the screen Um, but there's a lot of depth of character and a lot of like subplots and and intrigue and irony and all these other kinds of things then you get star wars and it is this this is what movie theaters were made for Mm -hmm. and after star wars the top grossing movies start becoming indiana jones the star wars sequels alien back to the future all these grand escapades on film which think you know things you could only really experience in a movie theater. I think it's at this point where film becomes a medium of its own. It's not it's not just another way to tell a story. It's not just a way to mass produce and share easily a, a play production. Film becomes its own thing. And and when you think of how many movie directors will be like and then I saw Star Wars and that like did it for me. 
So it's it's Spielberg or Lucas, right? Who've influenced pretty much every director we've grown up watching. Mm-hmm. Um, and all these, you'd have no Matrix, you'd have no Marvel movies, you'd have no. Uh, um, I'm trying to think of another franchise, but any of these big blockbuster productions, you wouldn't have these things without Star Wars converting the medium of film to these big budget special effects experiences, right? Like just to get off track, Tenet by Christopher Nolan. That movie made me feel like I need to see this movie in the theater. I think Inception was similar, right? But he was another director who goes back to that, scrap the characters, scrap the plot. You need to be in a theater to watch my movie, and I'm going to make something that's so amazing, you you have to see it in the theater. It really did make it its own thing. Film is something so unique and something so special. I mean, the way George Lucas created new technologies, experimented, forced other people to create new technologies, just saying, we need to do this, Let, you know, figure out <laughs> how are we going to do that? Yeah, like the the ATATs in Empire Strikes Back are real to me. Right, right. Right, his use of blue screen and animatronic puppets and, and slow motion puppets and everything. He made the Banthas. Yeah. I remember asking my dad, and my dad's from England and he's got a bit of an accent. I had to ask him, to repeat himself two or three times, I was like eight years old, and I remember asking what the Banthas were. How did they make that, Dad? How are those things real? And he said it's an elephant in a costume. But he kept like with his accent, I couldn't understand him, and I was like, "What?" And he kept saying elephant in a costume. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, he just he brought all these things to life, yeah. right? Yeah, again and again and again, and I, I think that's something we're going to continue to get into as we go throughout this series as we as we talk about these how he drove special effects yeah. technology yeah with every movie, every single movie sure. Be, before we end i i want to just give a shout out to r2 and his great faith in the force um the little guy just says i've got plans he hops on <laughs> hops on a <laughs> uh an escape pod with 3po says here we go <laughs> good luck at any time and then he just he just magically falls into the hands of luke skywalker at a moisture farm you know like this guy and he's just like i need to find obi-wan kenobi and he just talks about it till he gets there he's on a whole planet he's on a whole planet could you imagine somebody somebody showing up at your door hey so i just landed on this planet could you show me the direction to uh joseph joe blow and you're like i don't know who that is well, I have to find him. You know, amazing faith in the force. Shout out to R2-D2. Good job. Yeah, I would say that probably the greatest achievement of all these movies is the character of R2-D2. A character whose personality is so well fleshed out, though he has no dialogue that you can understand and no subtitles. And so we only understand what he's saying based on how other people respond to what he's saying. And then just the way he... It's almost like like it's if miming was interesting. The way he just charges off to do things on his own and then everybody else has to kind of follow him. He doesn't have to say anything, but you learn that this droid is very stubborn and has a personality and a mind and a will of its own, right? I mean, he convinced Luke to take off his restraining bolt. Oh, sorry, I can't play the video. This restraining bolt's messing with my circuits. <laughs> yeah. And then he just yes. escapes. Yeah. He's a genius. Yes, that yeah that was actually and i didn't pick up on that until i was i didn't see the whole because he was a robot i just thought robots always tell the truth because they're machines right Mm -hmm. when i was younger it was only this last time watching through where i was like oh 
he purposefully stopped showing the video so that Luke would take off the restraining bolt so that he could run away the next morning. I thought that the whole thing was coincidental up until a week ago. Yeah. And I, I loved 3PO like selling himself to Owen being like, oh, yes, of course I can do that. I'm perfect for that. Also, take this R2 unit. And then Owen walks away and 3PO is like, don't you forget this, you son of a... Like, he's like, they have such like this abusive relationship. But yeah. R2, R2's in charge the whole time. But 3PO is like, I'm, I'm running the show. I'm the boss. I have the legs. And R2 is yeah. like, you idiot. You don't know anything. <laughs> oh, it's all so good. I love yeah. it. I love yeah. it. Growing up in a religious household, there were a lot of things held sacred. But probably most sacred was my dad's collection of movies and shows beginning with Star. Star Trek, Stargate, and most importantly, Star Wars. By the time my memories started forming, there were all seven seasons of The Next Generation and a bunch of Stargate SG-1 sitting on the shelf. But there was only one box set for Star Wars. These three VHS tapes played again and again during my childhood. I don't remember the original trilogy coming out in theaters. Heck, I, I don't remember the prequels coming out in theaters. But I do remember cuddling up with my dad to watch Star Wars A New Hope. The first thing I noticed re-watching this movie is that George Lucas is just phenomenal at creating this world and plopping you right into it. C-3PO talks about being a droid like Luke would know what he means because Luke does know what he means. While Vader, Tarkin, and Leia talk naturally about the Rebel Alliance because they're real. Here, it's not made up and doesn't need extra exposition. Of course, sometimes things go over your head as a kid. I'm sure I asked an absurd amount of questions. Is he the bad guy, Dad? Yes, Alex, the ominous music, epic armor, and force choking should make that obvious. What happened to Luke's aunt and uncle? Well, son, see those crispy bodies by the door? And sometimes I thought I understood things when I really didn't. For example, when Luke and Ben visit the Moss Eisley Cantina and the thug says he has the death sentence on 12 systems, I thought he meant he had a video game called The Death Sentence, and he had it on 12 different gaming systems. The idea of a galaxy having 12 different gaming systems really showed me how huge this world was. I was probably 18 before I realized he was bragging about being a criminal, not about being an epic gamer. Either way, he deserved to have his arm cut off for flexing on poor farm boy Luke like that. This was a sign of things to come for Luke setting off on an adventure where good and evil would face off in a battle for the fate of the galaxy. Little did I know I'd be setting off an adventure too, as a lifelong Star Wars fan. <laughs>